it will break the hardest of men, I think, um, this like fatherhood when it really pushes you to the edges. And so Sistema is like a mental preparation. This is Glenn Murphy with NC Sistema, and this is Sistema for Life. How are you? Good morning to you. Good morning, Glenn. How's life treating you? Good. It's been a good week. Yeah? What, what have you been up to this past week? Um, my wife and I went away for a weekend without the kids. Oh, marvelous. That must have been a breath of fresh air on its own. Yeah, it was like our, our honeymoon. Like Our kids are like 18 and 22, uh-huh. and this was like the first time <laughs> we've taken a few days away. So it, yeah. was, it was kind of cool. Did you come back to a trashed house, just wild parties and things like that? Or was it mostly just vegan food and, and niceness? <laughs> yeah, it was vegan junk food. It was like, it was like uh, <laughs> mayonnaise without eggs. So that, that, was the, that was the extent of, of the sinning. Right. <laughs> not too bad, not too bad. Real. So yeah, um, so what I'd like to talk about today is a little bit is um, Sistema as it relates to parenting. So this um, might be an odd one for folks who uh, don't have kids, don't want kids, um, and will never have kids. Um, but I, I suspect there's quite a few people out there who are training Sistema who have kids, either little ones like I have. So I have a nearly six-year-old and a nearly two-year-old, um, or older kids, teenagers. And kids present challenges throughout those stages. In the early parts, it's mostly just trying to survive sleep deprivation and uh, getting them to do little things that you want, like putting clothes on them and all that kind of stuff without getting frustrated yourself. And in later years, it gets a lot more kind of, uh, of, a, of a power struggle, it seems. <laughs> just trying, <laughs> trying not to force too much of your will onto them or you know, um, make sure they stay motivated, but without kind of trying to lay down the hammer and all those kinds of things. So there's, there's difficulties all the way along. And I personally have definitely found um, Sistema has helped me a great deal. Now, I, I, didn't, I found kids, bef- uh, sorry, I found Sistema before I had kids. So I haven't done the control experiment in which I've tried to have kids without having the, the skills that Sistema gave me. But I definitely have learned a lot and that's helped me to deal with the frustration, with the sleep de- deprivation, with the energy shifts, all of those kinds of things. And in interacting with my kids and their emotions, um, which is what I'd like to talk about today. And and you're on the flip side. You kind of went through little kid stage all the way through that and your kids were already 10 and 14 by the time you found Sistema, something yeah. like that. Yeah, yeah. Some, somewhere thereabouts, right? Um, so kind of you got through the early years on your own steam, um, but I'll be interested to hear whether or not Sistema has helped you deal with uh, Yael and Ilan and things that are going on with them in their teenage and coming into young adult life and all that kind of stuff as well. Yeah, sure. Yeah, cool. Okay, so kicking off, um, what what are the, what were the most challenging aspects of having kids for you? What, what kind of stuck out from the very beginning? Because it's kind of like one of these things where nobody gives you the manual, right? The workbook. It mm-hmm. seems like there's tons and tons of books, especially for mothers, like what to expect when you're expecting. They tell you all about the stages of development and how to feed them properly and all that kind of stuff. But there's not a lot out there for, for fathers, right? Uh, along the way either. So that's what I kind of found. Yeah, well, there was, there was nothing but words in the mm. books. Yeah. Like that was the problem. Mm. And the words meant nothing mm. without the experience. Yeah. So it's just like, you know, trying to tell someone what, the, what a peach tastes like when they've never had a peach. Mm. You can, they can see all sweet, pungent, whatever all the words are. Yeah. But until they experience it, yeah. it's, it's foreign. So yeah. I was prepared for mm. sleepless nights until uh, our oldest was uh, three days old. Mm. And I swear to God, I, w- I pulled out our Rolodex. I mean, mm. People remember Rolodexes. <laughs> <laughs> and I was looking for at two in the morning for who wants a baby. <laughs> like, like I just turned to me. I said, "This was a mistake." <laughs> right? This is a horrible mistake. Can we just give it back? Can we do that? Like, yeah. Uh, so, 
you know, the, there is no there is no preparation. Yeah. I mean, maybe, you know, in a traditional society where yeah. you have the advantage of generational transfer of, of not only knowledge, but experience where the young ones would always help with the babies where you, you yeah. see mm -hmm. where there would be help. Yeah. But us in our little suburban box. Yeah. Um, it was it was simply overwhelming. And I didn't have any experience mm -hmm. of a physical of pushing past my physical limits. Yeah. Which is one thing that Sistema does on a regular basis, whether it's mm. holding the put the top of the push up yeah. past what you know, my mind will quit before my body does. Yeah. Because if you say, hold on for five more seconds, yeah. I can. Right. Yeah. So so simply that the yeah. ability to understand that my mind is going to try to play tricks on me, is going to try to protect my body from yeah from the extremes of what it can do yeah um was it is it was a big revelation yeah uh, that i wish i'd had earlier yeah definitely yeah. looking after little kids especially forces you to call upon reserves of endurance that unless you've worked like really difficult physical shift work jobs right or mm -hmm. you know been on call or working all night in an emergency room or something like that right probably you've never experienced that extent of kind of mental push through and endurance before if if you've done you know, academic jobs or you've done information-based jobs and things like that. And then you go into uh, becoming a parent. It's pretty crazy. So yeah, Sistema definitely prepares us mentally for that and um, for that push through, well, that fight through, as you've called it before, that kind of, you know, you've, you've got to kind of be okay with it and get through and then be like, well, I'm doing this for the kid. This is not just for, for you. And you do get that same little voice, you know, when you're holding a push up for five or 10 minutes, you get that little liar voice in your head saying, you can't do this. You're going to hurt your back. Your shoulders aren't strong enough. You should just let, let go. I mean, nobody's really looking, you know, it starts lying to you and talking to you and you're like maybe I'll do it and you have to fight through that right and then you have to it's not good enough just to combat it head-on you have to remind yourself why you're doing it you're like if, if I quit this now I'll never get better at it if I quit this now I'll never get the heaviness in my hands right if I quit this now it's the whole endeavor is really not up to all that much so you have to remind yourself of what the motivation is and I found the same thing with kids you know is that you can be benevolent all day long and be like I'm a great dad and I read all the books and this is what I did and then three in the morning um, four in the morning, five in the morning. I remember Sean just had a whole period where he was just waking up like crazy and we'd resort to putting them in the car uh, car seat and driving laps of 440 around Raleigh, which is the big ring road that goes around just in circles until he fell asleep between like three and five in the morning, just just to do anything to get him back to sleep again. Now we learned a lot between the first kid and the second one um, about how we were enabling him to wake up because we did it too much and we didn't pause and allow him to cry for, for a, a while, right? Or like span those things out. And there's an argument about how effective those things are, again, in thousands of different child books and things like that. Um, but the main thing was that while I was trying to kind of fight myself at three in the morning, I would, I would be getting angry, physically angry. And, and you know, at what? At a baby? The baby yeah. can't help it, right? The baby's just crying, responding, doing what it's doing. So who am I angry at? Really what it is, is the anger comes from a fear that this baby's never gonna go to sleep, that this is gonna be your life for the next three years, four years, five years, whatever it's gonna be until the baby starts sleeping through the night. And that this is never gonna end, right? So you start feeling sorry for yourself. So the fear makes you angry, right? Mm -hmm. um, and you, ha you have to talk yourself out of that. You're like, no, this is a fragile little thing. And, and I found myself thinking again and again, wow, if somebody who's um, as trained as comparatively like well-read and in control of his emotions as I am, right, is having trouble with this. I can't imagine what it's like for some just angry dude you know, who comes back from shift work and then has to pick yeah. up his kid and his kid is screaming. I'm like, no, you know, I could, there were moments where I could understand when there's like instances of like people shaking babies. Or yeah, that was, down and that was a mantra of mine. Don't shake the baby. Yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah, and Brian Johns, who we interviewed uh, earlier, 
uh, in the podcast who did the Sistema for Executives tells me um, his his kid Zach would just um, I think it was Zach rather than Eric and as the older one he just had periods where he just was screaming for no reason you know all the way through the night just absolutely crazy just went through this crazy period and he literally got a big, a big soft bean bag in the corner of the room because he's like I need somewhere soft to throw this thing and he would just like <laughs> throw him in the bean bag walk out the room and be like <laughs> take some breaths and he'd come back in and be like oh, okay little one pick it back up again but he needed somewhere soft to drop the baby because he was going to do it right yeah. you know? so it's a uh, you know, and Brian's really in control of himself too, you know, and all that kind of stuff. So it's it will break the hardest of men, I think, um, this like fatherhood when it really pushes you to the edges. And so Sistema is like a mental preparation in its first instance for situations like that. We, we practice talking ourselves out of giving up and we practice um, just going that extra mile and, and that distance as we go through. And I think specifically the, the idea is that breathing will help you do that. Right? And that breathing will help you control your nervous system and will help bring you back down from that emotional high note right, as you go through it. And also that if you, you keep your structure, right, then you can hold the baby for longer. Right? You can outlast the baby. If you're all bent over the baby and you're always holding it on your right side and you never change sides or something like that, you just start to develop pain on top of the sleeplessness and you've, you wake up, the, your back's all janky and then you have to go to work and do something else. So Sistema reminds us to keep our structure when we're under pressure, which is not something that everybody does. Other people kind of fold and try and work around it and then it makes everything worse right so that kind of whole idea and movement too actually so the whole fundamental idea of like breathing moving keeping your structure and relaxing that that helped me through a lot of pacing backwards and forwards for hours and hours on end in the middle of the night while i tried to get the baby to go to sleep and there, there were nights where um you know i mean heather took the brunt my wife took the brunt of the child caring because i was doing the brunt of the the day work and all that kind of stuff right but there were nights where she would just um, get completely frustrated she'd try to put them down 10 14 times or something um and then at that point i had to come in hold on to them and then try and out relax the baby like literally i'm like i can do this for longer than you kid you know? yeah. <laughs> I don't pace my breathing and do the one in one out breathing and two in two out and eventually I discovered that the, the entrainment that we try and do with breathing works on babies too and if you get, go from one in one out to ten in ten out this is, so this is a hot tip to parents out there with little kids um, when you bring yourself all the way up to that deep breathing the baby feels that if you hold them against their chest and they start entraining to you and breathing hmm. deeper and then when you come back down by the time you get back down to one again the baby is just unconscious like both arms are hanging down they're a dead weight and that's when you put them down and I learned the hard way that if you think they're asleep and then you put them down they, they, they yeah. charge her awake again but if you go through the full sequence long after you think they're asleep and they're completely blacked out they're right into deep sleep already and then put you can just drop them if you want and they won't wake up right so i figured that out and but the long way i figured it out the long haul so what was your um what was your uh, experience of uh, after the kind of a sleepless period and getting into kind of a tantrum periods mm -hmm. like two three years old all that kind of thing but how did you deal with uh, were, mm -hmm. First of all, were Yael or Ilan particularly kind of ragey kids or were there's a difference between them? Um, mm -hmm. They weren't so much ragey. I mean, mm -hmm. Yael was the most difficult child anyone had ever seen who didn't have a problem. Okay. <laughs> like, you know, sort of like, you know, clearly, you know, mm -hmm. function, you know, normal function. Yeah. And yet, like, really, like, and both kids are, are extremely, um, shall we say, opinionated. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, stubborn. Yeah. Um, which I think, you know, serves them great now in a right. lot in a lot of ways sure um, right. but at the time it was hard to see the uh, the oak tree of the acorn of, uh, of recalcitrance sure. <laughs> um, blossoming into something useful right yeah. um, but what I, what I remember more than sort of the tantrum period because they were yeah. it was still a lot of sleeplessness yeah is uh, I think this is directly related to Sistema is mm. that I had trouble um, being a good parent and disciplinarian with them mm. because of my ego 
Okay. Because when I, I saw them as, as, I saw myself as like a smart guy, a, a mm. wise person, a compassionate, a good parent. Yeah. And whenever they acted out, mm. that was an attack. It's a reflection on, on you. It was a reflection on me, and especially yeah. in public. I would yeah. be so hard on them. Yeah. And, mm-hmm. and so sometimes, you know, good friends would tell me, like, dude, lighten up. Yeah. And, and Mia would try to tell me, you know, yeah. light, don't be such a hard ass. And but yeah. I like, but I'm protecting you. Yeah. You know, like they were, they disrespected you. Mm. But what I, what I couldn't see until much later mm. was that this was all me trying True. to look good. Yeah. 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 So I think that whole idea of like shame and embarrassment and affront to your pride, all that kind of stuff, it, it drives a lot of that behavior where people, where the kid will have a tantrum in public and the parent will have an argument with them and then just drag them out and all that kind of stuff, getting angry about the whole thing. It's like, why are you angry again? Are you, are you angry at a kid because it can't control its emotional state? It hasn't developed like the upstairs equipment to, to supersede that. And we'll come on to that in a minute, uh, kind of the limbic system versus the you know, the higher cognitive centers. But um, but again, what's driving that anger? In Sistema all the time, if you're getting angry working with a partner, right? Um, you have to ask yourself, well, why am I angry about this? And, and, you, and you start to blame the other person, right? It's like, he's just being a dick. He's just doing the draw wrong. He's just trying to stop me. He's not even trying to fight me, right? Um, and you get, or maybe you have a, a little bit of a history with him and you're like, he's just a stubborn guy. He doesn't want to learn or whatever it is. And you start externalizing that blame, right? And shifting it all onto them. Um, when really what it is is that you're afraid that you're just not that good. Right? Mm-hmm. You're afraid you just don't have the skills and you can't deal with this guy. Or you're afraid that this means if you meet a bigger person who's as strong and stubborn as this person in real life, that you'll have problems dealing with them. And that's that's terrifying. That's frightening, especially if you put a bunch of work in and you feel like you're doing okay. So really that anger comes from a fear and a frustration with yourself, right? And the, and the, the pride you think, I should be better at this. I should be doing this right. And I should be stronger than this, right? And the same thing happens with a kid, but it's just kind of it's almost comically imbalanced, right? You, you wouldn't grab a kid and start wrestling him around because you're like, well, obviously that's not fair. But essentially that's what we do verbally when we're arguing with a two-year-old. I mean, they haven't got the capacity to argue. So what are we doing trying to, you know, be like, no, I gotta do this and you do that and you should, they haven't got the capacity to reason this out and make it work, right? So we have to be the bigger person, but often we're not. Right? Because right. it stabs us in the pride. People are looking at us. We're in a restaurant. Whatever happens, we're like, oh, people are just going to think I'm a terrible parent or an awful person or whatever it's going to be. And we start getting caught up in ourselves instead of seeing the big picture. So that's another thing that I think where it relates is that being able to step back from this I lock you versus to- the toddler situation or you versus the kid or the teenager, right? Mm-hmm. And just try and kind of zoom out and take the larger view, take in your whole environment and be like, where am I? Why am I feeling this? Right? And then try and see the two of you from the outside. And then that gives you the ability to kind of uh, look at the emotions for what they are. There's like objects that are bound going through the minds of each person. And then you can at least let yours go, even if the two-year-old isn't or the teenager isn't, right? You can fix yourself first, and then you have a chance at relaxing or fixing the other person. Right, right. and then yeah. I think it's very useful to have that reframe that, that in mm. Sistema, we're always talking about your partner. Yeah. Right. Mm. So you, you are on the ground and they've got a, like a death grip around your neck, but they're still your partner. Sure. Yeah. Right? You're not work- your opponent. Yeah. Right. Yeah. You're working for the same goal. Yeah. And so to be able to see a recalcitrant toddler, mm. yeah. to see a screaming child, to see a surly, angry mm. teenager mm. as your training partner. Yeah. It's like, oh, OK, so this is what life is giving me today. Yeah. Yeah. Like, you know, that's kind of a, a real higher level of of wisdom that then it doesn't, you know, it's, a, it's kind of, you know, not systema, but jujitsu. Like the, sure. they, they, the, your partner, your child in, yeah. in this dra- drama yeah. has less to push against. Sure. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. You just don't give them that support, that thing to try and lean on. Right. And um, but at the same time, and here's, a, so here's another 
parallel, I think, if you offer no support, if you yield to everything that your kid wants, if they're screaming and they're like, I want the goldfish, I want the, you know, I mean, whoever it's going to be, and then you're like, no, you're not going to have them, no, and then you're like, yeah, eventually you just crack and you just give the kid junk food or whatever, it's just to shut them up, right? Yeah. Um, or just give them what they want. Oh, no, you're not getting any more toys this month, you've got enough Lego, and then you're like, oh, right, one Lego, but a small Lego, right? <laughs> if you do that, it's the equivalent of continuously yielding into stamina. It's like people push you around, chase you around, and all you do is, is move as if controlled by their movement, right? You mm. try and hold your ground, but eventually you're just yielding, 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 and you'll never um, stand at any point um, providing the support they need to know that they can't get away with it, right? Yeah. To be like, no, I can stand my ground. I'm just choosing not to sometimes, right? Mm. Uh, and you have to give kids that framework. You have to give them a fence to bounce off, like some sort of boundary. Otherwise, they'll just keep, they'll go beyond that boundary. And even then, even when you give them the boundaries, they'll test them constantly. Right. They'll be like, well, are you weak here? It's like, it reminds me of the scene in um, Jurassic Park where, where the, the, they figure out that the velociraptors are so clever that they're systematically testing the fences. She had them attacking the fence <laughs> again and again, the electric fence, right? To figure out, that's what kids are like. They'll, they'll keep prodding at your boundaries and they'll be like, oh, just half an hour more for bedtime and just, no, 20 minutes. Just And if you crack once, they'll, they'll take that chink in the armor and they'll like go at it the next night and then the next night. So you have to know how to provide those boundaries to be kind of a little bit flexible, but there's, there's places beyond which you will not allow them to go, right? And, and they have to know that, otherwise there's trouble in a different way. So too much structure is a bad thing, as in Sistema. If you're too rigid and you try and um, impose too many rules, many of which are, come from pride and, I don't know, trying to repeat the things that your father, the way they raised, raised you, right? And a lot of what we get in parenting, because we don't um, necessarily, again, take on those emotions right away, and we, we try and read about it and we try and kind of clue ourselves up. But really, realistically, a lot of what we do, we're just passing through from the way our parents were with us. You know, so yeah. was your father kind of a hard ass with you or was he like permissive? What was his kind of parenting style? Um, I was perfect. So I have no, okay. I, I have no idea. <laughs> you were the golden boy. And, so, I, yeah. and, I, and, I, and I say that not as a compliment. Sure. I, was, yeah. uh, I was extremely afraid of not pleasing. So I, from the mm. earliest age, yeah. uh, I mean, my father had a rage. And there were there were days when he wouldn't talk to one of us in yeah. the household because he was so angry and hurt. Mm. So I did not test okay. a lot of boundaries with him. When yeah. he was out of the house, I fought like a, a banshee with my mother. Mm. Okay. But when he was when he was around, it was just uh, it, it was too risky. So I was a good boy. Okay, you're a good boy around. And did he give you a lot of like praise and encouragement and all that kind of stuff? Yeah, yeah. You were afraid of letting him down because of that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, I remember I came home from school one day. I got like a B plus on, on, on my report card. I got all A's and a B plus. Mm. And he circled the teacher's name. And it's like, fuck her. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> so talk, talk about entitlement. <laughs> yeah, that's an interesting. Yeah, so, so, um, so there, there are... And um, saying kind of like that, you know, you don't know about these situations until you're in them. There, there is still some value, I think, about um, hearing about other people's mistakes or especially mm. in popular culture, kind of ideas that have come across. So, and I think there's a whole kind of self-esteem movement in the in the 60s, right? And 60s and 70s, like kids have to have as much self-esteem as possible. So you should praise them all the time unconditionally. And that's been found to be woefully um, off, off the mark. And I think it was a book by a, called um, Nurture Shock by a guy called Per Bronson that came out a few mm -hmm. years ago that was all about the research and that shows that if you give your kids unconditional praise, you're giving them a false self-image, right? Yeah. You're telling them that they are wonderful, that they are invincible, that they are the smartest little boy in the world and look how strong you are and all that kind of stuff. And then when they come up against somebody who's stronger or smarter or in the classroom or whatever it's going to be, they're, they're crushed, right? And so it basically encourages that fixed mindset, 
right? Yeah. The Carol Dweck fix my, fixed mindset thing. So if we do that, if we just praise them all the time, it's not helping them out. It's one of the worst things that we can do is setting them up for terrible stuff. Now there's a difference between, and then you can get into the differences between praising effort Right and efforts and behaviors mm -hmm. versus praising you like what a smart boy you are or yeah. what a handsome lad you are right that's praising that's like a fixed characteristic like you're good at math right is, right. is that am I because I just failed on a test which must mean I'm not and you're lying I don't know who I am anymore right versus like wow you tried really hard on that and look it paid off like you got the grade they're different things so you have to get into those subtleties a little bit but this whole idea that unconditional praise and just kind of wrapping people up in kind of a, a bubble wrap of support is one of the worst things that you can do for kids. I think that carries over 100% into Sistema and then you can kind of translate it backwards and forwards. Like our instructors, um, I don't wrap you guys in bubble wrap and you know, in, in one way, I try and make sure that people don't get injured and all that kind of stuff. But if you're having trouble with a push up or you're feeling sorry for yourself during a drill or whatever it's gonna be, you know, I'll tell you, suck it up, breathe, like figure it out, you know? Not, oh, you're, no, you're really wonderful at this. Don't worry, you're, you're great, this is demo and you try, all that kind of stuff, right? So, but then from time right. to time, I will praise effort, right? If somebody's clearly worked through something, I'll be like, that's it, that's, that's the attitude. That's the state that you want, right? Mm -hmm. Keep that state, that kind of right. thing. So, and I but, think it's something to learn. Like but that. linguistically, you didn't, yeah. you, that wasn't praise, mm. right? So I, I, one of the things I did right was I was mm. very stingy with praise. With your kids? With my kids. Sure. Mm. What, I, what I did instead was appreciation. Okay. Like, wow, yeah. I, really, I really enjoyed watching you do that. Yeah, yeah, um, that's great, yeah. Right, because even praising effort Hmm. Um, means that they they are looking to me for for validation and judgment, hmm. like some that's something that I, I can give them is something that I can withhold from them. Yeah. As opposed to like oh you know if it was someone else, hmm. say, you know I would just I would tell them how much they've enriched me. Okay. How, how yeah. much I appreciate what that what I've just seen or how much I loved yeah. or enjoyed that experience. I really yeah. I really liked that walk we took together. That was really fun for me. Yeah. Um, hmm. Gotcha. Yeah. Which, uh, which I, I, I mean, I, I can look back at so many things I did wrong. So I, right. I like to cling to some of the things I feel like uh, right. I aced. So, so what would you, what would you do differently? What are some of the things that you've like? If you had another surprise kid now, right, and you yeah. have to go through the whole thing again, what, what would you yeah. really do differently? What, what would you avoid? Well, I mean, I would. I'm, I'm a different person. Okay. So it, it comes from like it would. It's not a laundry list of, of tactics mm. so much as. I mean, just using the Sistema breathing to, to understand what's going on, to remind myself mm. of, of the dynamics um, and to, to, to really, tr I would trust more. Right? Yeah. I mean, I do trust more. So I trust my kids more now than I did when, when they were little. Yeah. Um, I was looking, always looking to kind of overcome. And, and in a lot of ways, I saw them as problems to be solved. Mm. Yeah. Um, so you know, with that attitude kind of shifted, yeah. to be able to just appreciate, you know, this this life, whatever it is, whatever it becomes, mm -hmm. um, you know, it, it just it would just it just makes for a much easier, gentler relationship mm. in which then the then the child trusts me more. Yeah. Like my kids mm. trust me a lot more. Yeah. Like I I don't think they lie to me. Right. Yeah, um, gotcha. and uh, and I think it's because of the way I've mellowed, and in, right. in, in large part due to my systema training. Awesome, that's great. Yeah, really. Yes, one thing that I found. So there's, there's a couple of kind of points along the way, uh, and like I'm only six years in compared to your like twenty odd years in uh, with uh, mm -hmm. with parenthood, um, but with two kids and at least having two runs through so far, right, going into it, um, I learned certainly a lot about how 
um, systemic training and natural movement relates to how like kids develop as well, right? Mm. Um, when we were kids, there was um, you know in the seventies and all that kind of stuff. There was there was this kind of fad of like they, you put kids in like baby bouncers or walkers and things like that to try and help them to toddle faster. They're like, oh, is this crawling? You should be walking. And and there's almost in the states, it seems like there's like kids are like status badges, right? And you want your kid to be walking or or talking faster than other people's kids. And if they're not, you take them to the pediatrician and you're all worried about what's wrong with them and all that kind of stuff. Whereas when we were kids, it was more kind of like permissive and you just kind of, well, it'll turn out that way. I had a cousin, Lance, who lives in uh, Canada now. So I see him when I go up to Toronto to train. And he famously didn't talk until he was like about three and a half. He, he just sat there completely mute and they thought he had some hearing problem or some some other uh, kind of problem for the longest time. And he said nothing at all, not a word, not a dada, not a mummy, not anything like that. And they were sitting around the, the dinner table one time and he just went, can I have the cheese? Like literally his first <laughs> words were a complete sentence. He'd just been listening for that entire time. And then he just started speaking in short sentences and they were all like, spat the drink out. And it was famous, right? The story's retold and retold all the way along. And even now he's pretty quiet, right? He went, he's one of those guys who will sit back and watch the whole conversation and say nothing. And then he'll drop in a zinger. You know what I mean? He'll just kind of say the perfect comment and everybody laughs and then he'll retreat back out the conversation. So he's been like that since he was yeah. a kid, a toddler, right? He's just a big listener and and, and a, a sparse communicator and that kind of stuff, right? And probably they would have, like in today's world, they would have taken Lance to the speech therapist or something, right? When he was one and a half, I was like, what's wrong with this kid? We need to get him talking. Let's get some phonics up in here or let's do something, right? Mm-hmm. To get him going. But he was fine and he is fine. He's more than fine. He's like a you know leading aircraft engineer for like a major company in, in Canada, mm-hmm. right? Um, but we have this need to try and help kids develop all the time and push them through and try and help them with artificial kind of uh, baby Einstein videos or baby walkers or whatever it's going to be. When often the best thing to do is leave them alone to fall over, to try and talk, just to mm-hmm. listen and to copy and not to try and teach them language, just allow them to absorb and encourage their efforts. And that's what we do. And especially with the movement one, um, like Sean got into a little bit of a, it, he, he developed kind of like a, a crawl that was a little bit lopsided on one side, like he had an awkward crawl where he wasn't bringing his right hip up like all the way. Um, and then when he came to like trying to stand up, he was having trouble with standing up and we thought, oh, maybe he's got something structural there and we got worried about it. Um, but instead of taking him to kind of like a, you know, a surgeon or something who might have said, oh, we need to cut that open and do something with it or kind of a physiotherapist, we took him to this um, purveyor of like mind body centering. Um, her name's uh, oh, Mariska, I can't remember what her last name is, but she uh, in Durham and she had these classes um, called infant development movement education. And there's a whole, um, thing around it now where parents will go from from absolutely from three months up until they start walking basically once once they walk they're done pretty much right they they graduated from the class Um, and it was like an open class and people with kids of different ages and the whole idea was to take your baby in there and then she would educate the parents on how to leave them the alone do you mean like how to not interfere with their movement development patterns all the way from the way that you pick up a child a lot of the time people pick up kids by just grabbing them underneath the armpits and their legs are dangling Uh every time you do that the baby essentially does a flinch reflex right and arches its back and then when you put them down again as babies they'll arch their back and then they can't get to sleep because they keep flipping and Mm. messing around whereas if you scoop them up underneath the hips if you gather them in the same way as they would gather their own bodies together into a squat before standing up then they're relaxed they're compressed the entire time and they feel safe when they're compressed that's why swaddling works and all that kind of stuff so just this one change in the way that we pick the child up and put the child down you scoop them up like feet bum and then upper body and hold them and when you put them down you put the hips on the ground first and then lay them down not try and set them on their feet before they've developed Mm. their structure or the, or the kinesthetic awareness to use those damn legs, right? Just doing that um, fixed the problem entirely. He started crawling straight, got up, and he started walking within like no time at all, right? So it was just a change in the way that we were doing things to them. 
other parents came along to that class and they had kids and in baby bouncers or walkers at home and their kids were all over the shop. They couldn't walk properly. And Mariska was like, oh, it's the worst thing that you can do. You, you know, you, we want them to stand up and we keep standing them on us and trying to get them to do it early. And it's too soon. They haven't developed the proper hip structure or flexibility or lower back awareness. And they stand up and they flop. And then when they run later, they have this weird run where they kind of go all over the shop. So introducing these artificial devices and ideas is actually retarding movement development in children. And so this class is all about how to get out of the way of that. And so with Cora, we took, and, took her right away. She had nothing wrong with her. We just took her to the class a couple of times to remind ourselves how not to get in the way. Mm. And all the time she's talking about, she's like, first you have to let them lay flat on their back and then they're gonna use their weight to turn themselves over by like kind of reaching with an arm or a leg. Right? Yeah. <laughs> and then they kind of, and then they're gonna move themselves gradually to their knees and their, or to their bum and they'll figure out how to get to the ground again and back up. And then eventually they'll kind of gather themselves up and they'll pull it and they'll stand up and like, sound familiar? Yeah. <laughs> we do this at the beginning of every systemic class, right? And it's to remind ourselves how to move naturally. How, and, and these are things that we forget. We look for support and the objects around us. Um, of which there are a lot more than you'd find on the Serengeti plain, right? We didn't evolve to have desks and tables and things everywhere that we can pull up on, right? And so it's, it's really important. So when, as soon as I heard that, I'm like, I'm an idiot, right? I, I teach this for a living to adults and, I, and I'm breaking the rules for my kid. I'm trying to kind of support my kids in ways that wouldn't be helpful. Mm. And so as soon as I realized that equivalence, I was like, well, this, this is wonderful. This is the greatest thing. And I've been pushing people towards Mariska's classes ever since uh, and trying to integrate it into my classes and the kids that we're going to be doing with, with kids too. So that movement mm. developed thing was huge for me. The weekend of September the 22nd and 23rd, 2018, Martin Wheeler will be returning to NC Sistema for his seventh consecutive year with a two-day fight clinic entitled Slip, Strike, Grapple. The seminar will be held in downtown Durham, North Carolina, and is currently priced at $150 for one day or $255 for both days. Podcast listeners can claim an additional 10% off using the discount code HITME at the online checkout. That's H-I-T-M-E at the online checkout. Visit www.ncsystema.com slash events to register. Hope you see you there. And when we talk about parenting, we're yeah. always talking about parenting ourselves. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Right. So, you know, as I every at every stage of my kids life, I would yeah. recall like suboptimal, um, gro you know, growth progressions of my own mm. and kind of, you know, that kid's still in there. Yeah. Right. Mm. So so when you if you think if you're on the floor rolling around in Sistema and you think about like, okay, I'm going to reintegrate. Yeah. I'm going to learn how to crawl again. Mm. Right. I'm going to, I'm going to learn how to turn over by using uh, limbs. Sure. Yeah. Um, I think, you know, there, there can be, there can be lots of healing sure. for, for us mm. in the, in the reflection of, uh, of our kids' ages. Yeah, definitely. Especially if we were in the generation that skipped that and got put in baby bounces and got picked up weird and stuff like that, right? It's, it's good to regress, go back, learn to move naturally and then build a better structure for ourselves, right? So necessary work that some people never do their whole lives. And then they end up walking all bent over with stiff hips when they're 60, you know, and they don't get to enjoy the, the, the last half of their lives, which it might be now, right? If you live to 120, it'd be horrible not to be able to walk for the last 50% of your life, right? It'd be really yeah. bad. So, so the, other, um, the other kind of mini epiphany that kind of hit me was um, reading a book called uh, The Whole Brain Child. Um, I'm just trying to remember who, you know, I've got the author written down here. It was uh, Dan Siegel. Dan Siegel, that's right. Dan Siegel and Tara, Tara or Tanya Bryson, I think it was. That was okay. the, the co-authors. Yeah, and absolutely. And all this was about was about the fact that kids' brains don't develop all at the same time, right? Their bodies 
essentially they grow to a certain capacity and then the bodies of course are still lengthening and maturing over time um, but they're, they're born with an almost complete limbic system right they have everything that pretty much like a, most lower mammals have by the time they're born right um, but the upstairs right the cerebral cortex and especially the prefrontal cortex the decision making the logic all those bits are still getting wired for for like the first 12, 15 years of their lives. They're not really complete until they're about 23, yeah. something like that, right? So they're still working through that stuff when they're teenagers. And yet we treat them like little people. In, in the beginning, we infantilize them for want of a better word. And we just think, oh, it's a, it's a helpless thing. It can't even think because it can't speak and it can't walk. You're like, it's just a slug, right? Yeah. I have to pick it up and be careful and do things. It can't want things or understand things. I just have to kind of, all it can do is feed me, blah, blah, blah. And you just start responding to that like a stimulus response thing. But later when they start talking and walking a little bit and they clearly have emotions and they're, and they're talking to you and they have needs and will and volition, then you start arguing with them as, as if they have a higher brain and they really don't. They have bits of it they, and they, they de it develops piecemeal and it gives us the illusion that they're smarter in terms of logic and reasoning than they actually are. They're still mostly a, a limbic system that's functioning with occasional forays into logic, right? That's mostly what they do. And so we overestimate their capacity to reason things out and we ignore their limbic system and we try and kind of demand that they get over their feelings. Like, be a big boy now. Don't, you don't cry anymore. You're a big girl, right? And we try and kind of squash that and just get them to grow up before their brains are really ready for it a lot of the time. Um, and so it's about understanding that there are these two, at least two halves to the brain. Of course, you've got the left-right brain divide as well, right? You've got the logical half or the predominantly logical verbal, the, the bit that's, that's um, mostly occupied with the letter of the law, right? It's like the details. And then you've got the half that's more artistic, more creative, that's also more occupied with fairness, right? Um, so kids are more concerned with fairness than they are with the details of what the rules are and what's going on. But we're not. We're more concerned mostly with the details. We're like, these are the rules, this is what you do. But kids care about the spirit of the thing, right? So sometimes there's a, there's a disconnect there between the way that we are as adults and the way that kids are as developmentally immature young adults right and we overestimate their capacity and we try and engage them in the wrong way um, and we underestimate their capacity to feel things out flip the switch and then start to use the bits of the circuitry that they do have right so it's about engaging them in the right way and in Sistema we do this all the time where we acknowledge that we have feelings that override right our thinking capacity and we start just not to reason and we start to just smash somebody that we're working with because we're angry about it or the fear will make you freeze um, or you'll recall another time when you didn't like the thing that was happening now and that will make you freeze up or overreact in a certain way. Kids do that all the time and you can see it in microcosm all the time with kids. And Sistema is the lab that, gets, that lets us realize that. So we should be using Sistema as a way of understanding ourselves so that we can understand how our kids react emotionally because they're just amplific you know, they're hugely amplified versions of that out of control limbic system. It's a huge deal. And again, I read this book and I'm smacking myself in the forehead like i'm teaching this for a living to adults and i'm not doing it with my kid at home i'm still slipping into this well you can talk now you can put your own shoes on you can pack your own backpack so you should be able to do these things too or you mm. should be able to be reasonable for god's sake be reasonable child right and they can't they can't yet they haven't learned how to do it they haven't quite put it together and that's not to say that they can't use logic and they can't follow arguments but they can't like we can they, or they don't care about it to the extent that we do. And if we ignore their feelings along the way, they just end up feeling terrible all the time, right? And uh, like they're doing the wrong thing because they get the spirit of what we're trying to do, which is get them to do something instead of acknowledging what is their feeling and then moving on. So it's, it's, a, it's a fascinating realm, I think. So. Uh, yeah. Um, and at the, you know, at the same time, so like if, if I'm in Sistema and I'm feeling an emotional overwhelm, Yeah. Um, but what I have learned mm. is 
through the, you know, so training the, the nervous system to go into breathing, to go into yeah. some form of parasympathetic yeah. uh, response mm -hmm. automatically brings me back to my neocortex. Right. Yeah. Right. Because other, you know, so so I can I can still even in in the swirl of an emotional maelstrom, mm. there's still some part of me that is conscious mm. of rationality of yeah. context. Sure. And in, in working with my kids, what that has helped me with is um, I can still, to some extent, model. Yeah. Where I want them to go mm. in one year, five years, ten years, when they're ready. Yeah. Right. So it's so it's not you're not saying that because they don't have the capacity that I you know get down and fight at their level mm. or that you know that because I don't use the same logic and reason that I don't come from a logical reasonable place. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And so what Systema has really helped me with is to uh, is to return retreat from freak out. Yeah. Mm -hmm. When 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 dealing with difficult moments with my family. Yeah. And still be able to be present for them. Yeah, stay human, right? Stay not human. Just into a scared animal or angry animal. Yeah, because yeah. there were there are plenty of times when I'm sure the message I was giving with my words in my body was, yeah. I don't love you. Yeah, yeah. Right. And now like that's that's unconditional. So wherever sure. wherever the fight is going, yeah. There is, you know, love and regard and safety underneath it. Yeah. And that and that, and that has come to me through I mean, I remember like the two big moments. Mm. So, like you know, my uh, my my love of cold mm. and cold water, right? Yeah. Like I started overcoming that with with morning dousing. Sure. And like occasionally, my kids would want to like you know stick an ice cube down my shirt mm -hmm. or reach or sneak up to me with cold hands and like slap yeah. me on the back. Yeah. And I would I would have freak out like God, yeah, stop that! I hate yeah, it when you do that. Right. <laughs> and one one day like. Elon came and put an ice cube on my back, and I'm like, "Ooh!" Right. And he, and he flipped out. It's like, "Who are you?" Oh and then this other time, I sort of tripped down the two steps from yeah. the the hallway down into the mudroom, mm. and I immediately I found myself breathing. Like, yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. Oh, like this is a different nervous system. Yeah. And I can respond to crises in a much more generative and creative way now. Yeah, and actually, um, Siegland uh, Bryson in that book, I think, uh, about two thirds of the way through the book, is ostensibly a book for parents to learn how to engage, how to recognize. Um, the different ways that um, children reason and communicate and then to engage in a proper way. But about two thirds of the way in, they kind of slip in like, you might want to try these techniques on yourself or yeah. with each other, right? So it's, it's, it's pretty clear that we suffer from all the same problems that kids do. It's just more obvious with kids because they're, they're just, um, and it's partly just about social norms, right? Kids are allowed to explode and get angry and cry and sob and do all the, or, or express joy and leap through sprinklers with their clothes off and all that kind of stuff, right? <laughs> but we're not, so we kind of bottle it, but it still comes out and we still mm -hmm. have these kind of little explosions and these little kind of overwhelm episodes and all that kind of stuff. But it's, mm -hmm. um, but and especially if we've never really been engaged with it, we've never come to understand our own nervous systems and emotions in a way that Systema teaches, um, we can be like a, a prisoner of that for our whole mm -hmm. lives, right? We can just well, keep bottling and thinking we're reasonable until it explodes, right? You know where so, that comes up a lot? In our, mm -hmm. our friend Peter Bregman's work, he works yeah. with top executives. Yeah. At a certain point, you have enough power mm -hmm. that you don't inhibit yourself because of fear of consequences. Yeah. He's got so many stories of like top executives like throwing chairs sure. in board meetings and yeah. You know, overturning their coffee cups and just ha you know, essentially having tantrums. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and we can definitely point to people in power in the states right now as, as essentially very, very enable toddlers in positions of power. Right? So I'd say more on that one. Uh, yeah. So in um, 
in the uh, whole brain child book, they give uh, like a whole bunch of recommendations for ways of um, acknowledging and dealing with these different ways um, that kids develop, right? All the way down from when they're little toddlers all the way through to the teenage years. And some of these I think are really interesting because rereading it, I just noticed so many things that again have parallels into Stammer and how we physically connect with each other and physically redirect each other's aggression and anger and all that kind of stuff in an effort not to just hit it face on, right? Mm -hmm. um, so the first tactic is instead of kind of trying to command and demand your kids, right? So let's say concrete example, um, your kids, you've got to get out the door, right? And your kids, and you're like, all right, got to get shoes on because we have to get out the door because we have to go to baby's house for babysitting or we have to go to school or it's going to be and they're just kind of taking their time and they're playing with lego and they're just there's no sense of urgency whatsoever right they don't understand that people have to be places and do things because they're kids right and we didn't always weren't always on this clock right so maybe it's our problem for being too scheduled that's another story um but typically how we react with this is just like okay put your shoes on okay i asked you once this is the second please put your shoes on and then you do a bunch of other stuff mm -hmm. and you're like sean Put your shoes on. We're going out the door. So you just resort to louder. Right. Like you're communicating with somebody yeah. in a foreign language and you don't have the language. You're like, uh, where is the toilet? And they're like, okay. And you're like, where is the toilet? As if going louder and slower is going to help. It's not. They don't yeah, well, I remember this conversation where, yeah. where he was like, why are you yelling at me? He says, because speaking nicely didn't work. <laughs> right. Yeah. You're teaching me to yell at you. <laughs> it's your fault. Again, you're making daddy do this. Right. <laughs> Emotional damage and trauma. That was all you. That's good. Nice. So, so instead of command and demand, and they talk about connect and redirect, right? And so you're like, okay, we have to go to the house and then they're trying to get upset or something. They're like, I don't want to go to Bibi's house. And you're like, okay, why don't you want to go to Bibi's house? Because like, I went yesterday and I'm bored. And I'm like, okay, I understand that you're bored. Um, I understand that maybe you want to go to a different house or something like that. But, um, but today we're going to go to Bibi's house. We're going to go and play and then I'll pick you up later and then we'll go do some fun stuff. We can talk about it later and then we'll see how it goes for next week. Right. So and in telling that little story, in acknowledging their feelings, acknowledging that, that, that they actually matter, right, that they're in half of the conversation, you touch on them instead of grabbing them and forcing them to the ground. You're engaging with them, but then you start to kind of move them around a little bit. You move their thoughts and that will actually bring them just from the the rage, just feeling yeah. like the anger or the sadness or whatever it is, into just thinking about it. They're like, all right, try me, right? And that's mm. moving them immediately to the prefrontal cortex. They're considering and they're planning mm. like, what the day's gonna look like. And they're remembering also what the day was like yesterday. So in getting them to tell that little story, you, you've already shifted them from the limbic system to their little nascent prefrontal cortex, and you've won half the battle, right? And then often you can get them out like this way. And that connects with the second one, which is um, name it and tame it, right? If, if somebody's really, uh, if your kid is really angry about something or, and they're just kind of clamming up, right? And they're just like, what's the matter? And they're like, nothing, right? And they do that kind of shutdown mm -hmm. thing. Then you, you try and get them to talk about what it is and then you acknowledge, you're like, yeah, that must've been really hard. Yeah, that would make me angry too, right? You try and kind of be mm -hmm. on the parallel with them. And in doing that, in just sort of making their feelings acknowledged and real, it, it loses a lot of its power. Right, they're yeah. like, well, I'm angry now. I've got nobody to be angry at. Yeah. I'm sad, but I've but he was sad too, I guess. And it just flattens things out. And the more that you can get them reflecting upon their own feelings instead of just feeling them and just having them overrun their bodies, the more you can kind of shift them upstairs um, and then get them eventually to do what you need them to do to keep them safe or to keep them moving or whatever it's going to be. Yeah, a technique that I, I don't remember where I read it, but I, I used it and it really, really worked well in those situations mm. was to say something like, boy, I wish. Mm. And then like, I wish we didn't have to go to BB's house today. Mm. Like, like mm. oh, like it was amazing how yeah. that empathy, yeah. you know, or whatever it was. Like, I want my present. I want to be yeah. grandma. Oh, I wish we could fly to grandma's right now. Yeah. Mm. 
Right, yeah. And then it just gives them a connection, right? And yeah. Yeah, definitely. And, and so the next one, which I thought was really, really interesting, oh, was, I think they have about 10 rules, but I just picked out a few that I thought resonated a lot with us, is that the idea of move it or lose it. That sometimes if somebody's in a limbic emotional state and they're just feeling either shut down in the sense of like uh, they're shrinking into themselves, they're feeling sorry for themselves, they're freezing, right? They're, they're in that kind of sympathetic nervous system state where they just want to run and hide or they want to hide completely and stay still or they just want to fight you. They're, they're just mm -hmm. being difficult, right? For the sake of doing it because that's where they're trapped. Um, then sometimes just standing there and talking to them, even if you're using complex counseling tactics and you're trying to kind of work, is no mm -hmm. good. And actually the best thing to do is like, all right, let's go for a walk or like, let's do some jumping jacks and then we'll put on your clothes, right? Uh -huh. Just getting them to move shifts um, their autonomic nervous state, right? It pulls them into their bodies. They have something to do with that blood flow that's going to their head and to their arms. And then once they've done that, it balances them back out again, pulls them back into the middle, and then you can talk to them. And this is huge. In Systema, it's exactly the same. Sometimes we're, we're crippled by analysis and we're thinking our way through things and we get stuck and we get frustrated. And the best thing you can do when that happens is just to move, right? Even if you're not fighting the guy successfully, it's just like, I'm just gonna escape for a while, right? I'm just gonna move, I'm just gonna, or, you're resting the guy standing up and on purpose, you just go to the ground and you move around on the ground to just get your body moving and to get yourself out of this stuck physical and emotional state. And then when you return to the problem or you return to the conflict as it was, it's no longer a conflict anymore because your half of it has dropped away a little bit. Just getting the body moving does something to get the mind moving. And, mm -hmm. and there's a lot of kind of um, neurological reasons why this is true. Um, a lot of people will argue that thoughts are essentially just movements within, as far as the brain is concerned. They're just movements that happen within the brain, right? And the reason why we're so clever is because we learned complex movement first, which built the hardware, and then that enabled us to think and to plan and to reason as an emergent property and all that kind of stuff, right? So there's a direct correlation between movement and thinking anyway. Um, but just this simple idea that if your kid is stuck mentally, get them moving physically, and then often they become unstuck. And you do too, right? You going for the walk might help you do that thing, the parenting yourself, right? If you yeah. find yourself commanding and your limbic system's coming up and you're getting angry at your kid, the two of you going for a walk will help you solve your own problem and the kid to solve his problem. And now you're just moving, right? And then you can keep moving, however that's gonna be. Yeah, I remember um, there was a time when Elon was really having trouble sitting still and doing his, <coughs> doing his homework. Mm. And um, we got advice from a friend of mine who's a, a developmental psychologist mm. who kind of had an evaluation with him over Skype and just yeah. watched him and said, he needs to move. Mm. When he's doing his homework, put him on a Swiss ball. Mm. Let him bounce. Yeah. And we did that. And it's like, oh, okay. Yeah, he's fine. Yeah, same thing actually with kids. Um, so one thing that Mariska was talking about, uh, with the infant movement development, sometimes really little kids, when you're trying to cradle them and they just won't, sit still, you try and put them on your shoulder, you've burped them, you've done everything you can to try and get them to relax. And they're still these little stiff, rigid balls. Um, and you, when you put them down, they're still crying. And the technique that she recommended is that if you have two parents, right, you have two kind of caregivers there, that you just put a blanket on the floor, put the kid in the blanket, and then you each take an end and lift it up like a hammock. And then mm. you just gently swing it from side to side. And the kid for a minute is just like, yeah, yeah, yeah what the shit, what's going on? And then they're like, oh, right. And they're just moving and they're kind of being rocked. Sometimes they fall asleep that way often they'll just stop crying and they're just kind of trying to take uh, the movement makes them shift their focus from the internal like i'm hungry i'm upset my teeth hurt right to like i'm in the world and it's moving right yeah. and that takes them out themselves and then when you pick them up they're nice and calm again right and, and i've seen this i've seen it work wonders with this in the class you know kids that are screaming and fighting and she's like put them in the blanket give them a swing and they just whoop they just drop out entirely so this whole idea of moving the body to move emotions, I think is huge. It's a big yeah, deal. we had a, what was called a Moses basket, like this wicker okay. basket with two handles, and yeah. it was, you know, had swaddling in it, and we sure. put my daughter in, yeah. we'd go out to a restaurant, yeah. and then I, you know, I'd have to, um, 
you know, she'd cry and I'd pick it up and I ended up being like a, a ride at Great Adventure. Like, mm. you know, like the pirates, mm. you know, the buccaneers ride where I'd be like swinging this thing mm. up and down and she loved it. Right. Yeah. You know, the only problem was when I had to stop because I was right. tired. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. I remember like uh, doing work on the laptop with like with, on my lap and, and, and swinging a thing with my foot <laughs> at one point. But yeah. And um, so uh, the last three that, uh, that cropped up were kind of all related and I thought were really interesting. And again, that relate directly to Sistema. And um, one is just pay attention to what's going on inside, right? Teach your child to, to feel what's, what's happening to their bodies when they get angry, right? Mm. And when they're like, oh, I'm so mad. And you're like, okay, uh, how do you feel? Why are you mad? And they're like, I just feel like, yeah, you never do what I say and we're not doing this. And like, okay, well, think about how you feel. How does your body feel right now? I'm just like, I'm all tight in my belly and right now to kind of describe to you what's going on. And then you can try and get them to visualize another place and go, all right, let's imagine we're in space just for a second, right? We're floating around in space. You can see a big spaceship, it's off on the horizon and we're gonna to go towards it. Um, and there's nothing pressing on you whatsoever. You're just kind of doing backflips and summer and you're opening up and all this kind of stuff. And using this kind of imaginary tool, right? You're doing it a little bit now while I'm talking. I can see you shifting and opening your chest and yeah. standing up straight. Yeah, you can kind of, it's the same way that hypnosis works, right? You generate an image in their minds and then they kind of get drawn into it and their bodies start to assume those states and that kind of stuff. And then in doing that, the important thing is at the end of it, be like, okay, so do you see how you were really angry and then you thought about something else and then it went away? Well, that's what feelings are like. They just go through us. Sometimes they come out on us and then they can leave and it's okay, right? And just kind of gradually teaching your kid that they aren't their feelings. Feelings are something that happens to them and we all get angry, we all get sad, and then it goes away. Right? Not trying to rush them through it and be like, don't be sad, stop being angry. That's the worst thing you could do. Again, that's just arguing with the reasoning part of the brain while they're still in the limbic bit, right? It's more like, okay, what are we feeling? We're feeling this now, All right, that's okay. And then you move it on through. And this can sound like really hippy dippy, um, but you don't have to do it in, you know, with flowers everywhere and all that kind of stuff, right? You can be very direct, I think, and realistic about what it is they're feeling. And my son learned to burst breathe pretty much or to take deep breaths, just to take one. <sighs> one or two breaths when he was feeling overwhelmed. He's like, I just feel bad. And you'd be like, okay, let's breathe. And he would do that. And then he would sort himself out. And other parents would see us do this around their house or something. Like he's like, I wanted the toy. And like, okay, first, let's just take a breath. And he does that. And then he can explain to you why he's angry. And then you can talk. It just helps snap him out of it. So they're more capable than we think they are of noticing that they have feelings, well, right? But they're just not good at reasoning them down. And neither are we for that matter. Well, that's what I was gonna yeah, say. Like, this, yeah, is, this, yeah. is, this is 90% of the work I do with my coaching clients. Sure, yeah. Is getting them to go, because what, what stops people from doing healthy habits is mm. emotions. Yeah. Is right, like I, uh, I have a fear of this, or mm. um, I have a, you know, I was hurt or angry or frustrated, and so I wanted to get rid of the feeling by eating. Yeah. And so, so most of the work is like emotional courage work. Yeah. To to feel the feeling, mm. but it's hard to feel fear, disgust, shame. Yeah. But um, Peter Levine, yeah. um, who's a big proponent sure. of polyvagal theory in, yeah. in, in practice as a body worker, mm. um, in, in one of his books talks about like go to the sensation beneath the feeling. Yeah. It's much easier to tolerate sensations yeah. than the, the constellation of, mm. of words that we give to them when we explain them to ourselves. Like, yeah, yeah. like I feel guilty is a terrible feeling, but yeah. I have a you know, pain in the pit of my stomach and my shoulders are and cold in the cold. middle of the chest. Yeah, like, like okay, yeah, yeah, like yeah. that's a sensation. And yeah. it's, um, you know, beneath every 
negative emotion are mm. these sensations that are far more tolerable. Absolutely. And so yeah. if, if kids can, if we can teach our kids that when they're young, yeah. we can save them a lot of pain in their lives. Yeah, and, and you talked about uh, Peter Bregman and his book, I think his new book is about right, uh, leading with emotional yeah. courage. Right? Yeah. So, that's, um, so it's about the same thing. He's, he's teaching full grown adults, CEOs, people in positions of influence, how to not just suppress their feelings and pretend they don't exist and wait until they bottle up, but to be strong enough to experience them, right? And to be okay with experiencing feelings and then letting them move through and out and riding that wave, right? And still being able to function in those ways. And that's a lot about what his work is about, right? So he's what he's uh, presumably tried different approaches in the past with his management consulting and planning. And, it, and he's come to this realization that this is probably the common denominator and one of the big things, right? I think this thing before was a lot about people being on the same page, right? They're doing a lot of busy work, but they're not in one direction. Mm -hmm. So it's giving everybody like the, the joint arrow where they go. Yeah. And now he's like, it doesn't matter if you have that and the CEO blows up and throws chairs out the window, right? And, and people are afraid to ask questions because the emotions ebb and flow. It's like, or, or you're pretending to be a machine, right? It's, an organization can't work if you pretend that it's a bunch of machines, like cogwheels. You have to acknowledge your emotions, acknowledge other people's emotions and, and go with that to, to be brave enough to open up to your emotions. And that's certainly something we do in systemic training. Right. right. In yeah. fact, it's all, you know, we're all toddlers yeah. when we're hijacked by the amygdala. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. We go straight back to it. Yeah, great. And the, the, uh, the very last thing that um, I was going to talk about is that there's one tactic when, when kids get kind of, for the want of a word, kind of mini traumatized, right? If they, if they don't want to get back in the car or they don't want to go somewhere else because they had like a bad experience and then they clam up and they don't want to talk about it, right? They're just like, I don't want to go. Mm. 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 They don't say anything. Um, it's a really important tactic to try and get them to tell the story of why it is, right? And I think in the book, they use an example of a, a little boy who was in a car crash, right? It was a t I think it was a pretty horrible story. It's like he was there with his caregiver and somebody else. Um, or like a babysitter, right? And, and the car crashed, and I think the babysitter was killed right? mm. uh, or, or seriously injured, like absolutely horribly injured. And the, and the baby was in it, and there was big lights and noises and screeching tires and metal, and they had to be cut out of the car or something like that. Um, and then afterwards, the baby, you know, the, the toddler, sorry, just stopped talking, like it just went into this kind of complete shock and wouldn't say anything to anybody. And the therapist that was working with them, um, everybody wanted to try and be like, okay, let's get past this. Let's just move on, fast forward. Let's not never talk or think about that again. Sure. And she realized that the only way out of this block was to get the kid to tell the story again and again. They're like, uh, do you remember when you were in the car and you were driving and you had Bunny and you were driving and then what happened? And he's like, big lights, big lights, noise. And that's about as far as he would go. And then the next day they'd tell the story again. And then he told the story again and again. And we're talking about 40, 50 times on consecutive days mm. until he could tell the whole story without really feeling the emotions associated with it. And then by then he was just talking, right? And he would talk mm. about anything. So this idea that you have to vocalize what it is that's bothering you. Like you have to remember what it was you felt like and then tell the story again. And in doing so, it loses some of its emotional power when you recall it. Um, mm -hmm. And then you can go back around it. And I think this is relevant to when we talk in the circle at the end of systemic classes, right? We're like, I've, I, I just found it really frustrating and I just had a really tough time doing this drill. I felt like wherever I moved, I was not get controlled. But I realized that some of that was me and I was getting stuck in it. And you'll tell these same stories again and again, right? You'll hear yeah. the same people saying the same things, right? Or same people saying, you know, different people saying the same things week after week, month after month. But it's important because after we've done that maybe 10, 20, 30 times, and there's no set number, it loses some of its hold over us. And we don't feel like that's who we are, right? And we're like, yeah, that happens to me sometimes. Mm -hmm. And then you can move on. But if not, you get stuck in this rut where you're like, oh, I'm good until I get angry. And then I just have to smash people. And that's that puts a limit on how much I can learn in systemics. Like, 
No, you're not. You're not anybody in particular. You're just expressing behaviors. And if you can vocalize that and talk about why it is and maybe what set you up to it, then you can let go of it. And then you can be somebody completely different. You can behave in a different way, right? So this remembering to recall, remembering to remember and talk about it, I think it's, it's a big deal too. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I guess it brings us back into the prefrontal cortex, which is mm -hmm. incompatible with fight or flight or yeah. collapse. Yeah, yeah. Right? So that we, you know, I, there's a lot of like, I think, mini collapse mm. in, especially if you're grappling yeah. and you're stuck. Yeah. All right? And so to be able to um, to connect that experience with, with the ability to, to vocalize it rationally. Sure, yeah. Uh, I think allow, allows us to process. Yeah, we pull ourselves out there. Brilliant. Okay, so, um, so leaving at the end, so three tactics, um, three tactics that I've learned along the way from Sistema that have helped me immeasurably with, um, with parenting. Number one, uh, learning how to calm yourself, learning how to recognize, to scan your body, to take a breath, to stop when you feel like you're getting overwhelmed, breathe in. Feel what's going on in your body, see where you've got tension, breathe out, repair your structure, maybe walk a little bit, get yourself moving, and then at least your half of the argument is gone and you're more prepared to deal with the either toddler or teenager or whoever it's gonna be. Uh, number two, entrainment breathing for little kids. Like when you hold them, breathing in and out in stepwise fashion all the way up to 10 and all the way back down does wonders for calming them down if they're too little to be talked to. Uh, you just physically put your chest against their chest and you breathe deeper and deeper and deeper gradually and they get sucked into it like hypnosis and find themselves breathing deeper. That's a great thing for new parents, right? Um, I think that's absolutely fantastic. Um, and number three, trying to um, treat the kids like partners instead of like uh, opponents or instead of things to be controlled or problems to be fixed, right? Just think of the whole situation as like, this is something to be worked with. And if the kid is afraid, how do I relax him? If the kid is angry, how do I relax him? We do this in Sistema all the time. We just need to apply it to our parenting behaviors. And then also movement, that whole idea that we have to allow the kid to move naturally, let them fall down, let them take them outside, make sure they run over up and down slopes and on different surfaces and watch them fall over. Obviously don't let them kill themselves, right? And climb up crazy stuff and jump off. Um, but you have to allow them to try, fall, fail in order to learn to develop natural movement patterns instead of artificial ones, right? All that kind of mm. stuff. So that's mine. Have you got any uh, other pearls of wisdom to nod on there, things that you've learned? Um, I think that pretty much covers it. Okay. But I think the, only, the only problem with this conversation is that it's 22 years too late for me. <laughs> yes. I, I wish I'd, uh, I'd thought of this stuff a long time ago. Yeah, maybe some of the other listeners will feel the same, but maybe it's going to be timely for, for a few other people. So hopefully we'll get yeah. something out. And I'll leave with a parting thought, thought from Vladimir himself, um, which I got a couple of years ago. And uh, I was up at HQ and I was training and he was like, how are you? How are things? And I'm like, yeah, it's good. The school's going well. And I'm just, I've got this new baby and I'm just not sleeping through the night. And I'm just trying to support the family and get everybody and all that kind of stuff. And it's, it's trying it. And, he's, and uh, he's, he's like, Glenn, you know what the hardest thing to do is hardest thing ever in like in, in life in Sistema everything I'm like what and he goes it's just just to love your kids not love them with pride not love them with a little bit of anger and control or love them with anything it's just just love them he goes it's so hard <laughs> and he goes this is your work now this is your Sistema this is what mm. you're doing right and I'm like wow okay yeah I'm like this is actually the most important application of Sistema for me at this time in my life right so it's oh, uh, yeah I thought that was a that was interesting well thanks very much Ben and we'll see you again next week cool cheers Thanks for listening. If you'd like to find out more about classes, workshops, and seminars at NC Sistema, please visit us online at www.ncsistema.com.